This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. We, uh, we began this series talking about God doing reformation work in our lives, and we're going to end it by reminding ourselves that God is in the business of uh, remodeling and uh, redecorating our lives. It just so happens that we also have to be, happen to be redecorating our new campus. And as uh, Pastor Jim already said, thanks to everybody who worked so hard. Yesterday, was, it was amazing how much work got done. If you haven't been by the new campus yet, we can't wait until you see it as it starts to pull together now. And, uh, and I want to thank those of you who have been giving. Giving to support the, the work of the church, yes, great, praise the Lord. But in, in, in addition to that, we've got this We're Here for Good campaign, and, and those funds are helping to uh, replenish the fund from which we've done this renovation. Perhaps you're not aware that you know, we've spent, you know, or we're, we've set to spend almost $90,000 between our two churches, and you need to understand that there's not a dime of that that was borrowed. God already provided every bit of that. And we believe that honors him. And for us to do the next set of work that's coming up, we're going to have to replenish that fund and more. And so some of you have been giving sacrificially to that. And it's interesting to me how that even giving to a project like that can actually be some of what God uses in our lives to renovate us. In fact, in Cindy and I's life, uh, it was early in our ministry. We went to a church that had a large uh, missions organization. And uh, they used to do a thing called a faith promise, where at the beginning of each annual missionary year, people would make a pledge what they wanted to give toward our missions fund. And uh, they called it a faith promise. You basically said, uh, this isn't just what I can give, what I can afford. This isn't what works into my budget. They encourage you to set an amount that you probably don't have. But the deal was, if God provides it, then you'll give it. And once you make a promise like that, we made, a, we made our first promise. And, and the, I, the, the amount was not all that impressive, but for us, it was terrifying. And then we went, first month, nothing came in. Second month, nothing came in. Third month, nothing came in. We started to feel like failures. Uh, and, and even though God didn't send it in, you'd think that would be a great victory story. He didn't. But it was a victory story. Because what happened is, every week, we, even before we went to church, we're thinking, come on, God, please provide so we can give this. And, and before you knew it, we were more engaged in what we were able to give or not give than we ever had been before. And easily two-thirds of the way through the year, then the Lord provided that sum almost in a lump. And when we looked at that number, we knew what number that was. And we realized that God had been listening the whole time. But he wanted to stretch and grow our faith. And right away, we looked at each other and said, what are we going to set next time? And, and it engages us in that process. And that's just some of the story that Marianne shared. And over and over again, we have seen that God is working in us, changing us. We're going to celebrate that today. So um, the truth about Renovations is, is this. Uh, renovating is hard work. That's what Pastor Jim was saying. Some of us are a little sore, uh, fingertips are raw, still have paint in places. Uh, it's hard work. Now, when you're renovating a property, your home or someplace else, 
there is one thing you have to look forward to. You're looking forward to being done. <laughs> being done so you can enjoy the work of your hands. Can't wait to get that deck so we can sit back there. Can't wait to get the auditorium finished so we can worship in this big, beautiful sp space. Oh, it's going to be wonderful. Can't wait to watch those kids go down in that children's area. The colors are so bright and the, oh, it's, they're going to be so engaged. Now, does anybody see a problem when we start saying that our spiritual renovation is kind of runs parallel to the idea of renovating things physically? Do, there's a little problem that we run into here, though. You see, if we understand our spiritual renovation correctly, we're never done. We're never done. Who's going to stand up and say, got it, all set, I'm good. So before we wrap up this series today, I want to just address this issue of, are we stuck in this spiritual renovation job that will never end? Like a church version of Groundhog Day. It just replays and replays and replays. And some of us have been wrestling with some of the same issues for so long. Our lives feel like Groundhog Day. And it's testimonies like this morning and other times when you, when you hear, wait a minute, people do move forward and not go back. And yeah, actually, I guess I have made progress. And we, we, we realize that, yes, God is changing things. He's tearing things down. He's building things in. But you see... Normally, it's nice to get things done. I don't know if you realize that we're only going to be in this room four more times. We're about done. Spiritually, though, are we ever done? We looked a few weeks ago at this passage, and I want to direct your attention to it as well. If you have a copy of the scriptures, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verse 18. Uh, if you want to follow along in the Bible, there's some blue ones there, or you can follow as we project it. Uh, I do want to encourage you, though, that if you have a copy of the Scriptures, I, I don't know if you're like me, but having it in my hand rather than just watching, I, I engage when I look. So I want to encourage you to open your Bibles if you have it. Paul writes this. He says, And we, talking about believers, who with unveiled faces, and that's a reference to comparing Moses' experience facing God to ours, unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. We, we looked at that passage a few weeks ago just to say, we are in process. We are being transformed. It's not something that is a product. Ta-da, we're done. We are in process. Growing as followers of Jesus, spiritual renovation is an ongoing work. In fact, on the very front of your bulletins, it has our motto, helping people on their journey. We acknowledge that they're in a process. We are all in a process. In the, books, in the book of Acts, uh, early in the book of Acts, when, when non-believers began trying to describe this new group of uh, Jewish Jesus followers, they couldn't figure out what to call them. Do you, do you know what that group was called? The Way. They were called the way. Even then, there was this understanding that there was a, some kind of a spiritual journey, and Jesus was the way. Those who followed were a part of the way. The question is, is this a journey that has no end, and therefore we will never enjoy <sighs> that sense of finish line, that sense of celebration? In Philippians 3... 
Paul writes to a, a group of believers, a lot like us, and he hits what I think are some highlights, some, some building blocks of what goes into a healthy mindset of a person who is being transformed. The idea here is that we may not arrive, but that doesn't mean that the job's never done, that there aren't stop points along the way, the way where we enjoy what's happened. When do you pull off to the side of the road and enjoy the journey? So there's some building blocks here, and I want to just point those out to you. He says, um, not that I have already obtained, and all this is yellow, only because it's actually not in the original language. Uh, that's interpretive. He's, the, the, interpret, the, the, the translators thought that they would help us to understand it. Not that I've already obtained everything that he has spoken about previously. Not that I've already obtained or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet having taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I think there's at least four building blocks to having a healthy process frame of mind as followers of Jesus. And I just want to highlight those for you. The first one is a humble, honest self-assessment. We talked about self-assessment pre previously in this process. Uh, notice, I've, I've highlighted some of the words, I think, that refer to that. He says, not that I have already obtained. He knows he hasn't arrived. Now, the background here is that there were probably some Judaizers around who were trying to talk, paint Paul as having arrived, and others were reacting to that. And, but, so he's trying to clear up kind of a misunderstanding about his role. But what he says is, I haven't already arrived. I haven't already obtained. It's funny, we know exactly what it means to have arrived. Have you ever described somebody? derogatory, it's like, well, he thinks he's arrived. Now, arrived where? Arrived how? If we leave all those words off and we just go with that simple sentence, he's arrived, we understand it to mean, ta-da. What Paul says is exactly the opposite. I have not arrived. Later on, he says, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold. There, there's that process. What we're saying is, honestly, I'm not there. I haven't taken hold of it, he says. It's important that we have an honest, humble self-assessment. In my family, we say, you're not all that in a bag of chips. Now, a humble, honest self-assessment doesn't mean that you are the worst thing that's ever walked into a church. In fact, sometimes folks will overreact. They think they're being humble when actually it's just pride in reverse. Remember junior high? Like, I remember junior high girls. Like, oh, don't look at me, don't look at me. Are you looking at me? Don't look at me, don't look at me. Hi, don't look at me. Wait, wait, wait which is it? <laughs> Do you want me to look at you or not? You know, they're saying don't look at me, but they really want you to look at them. In fact, they're assuming you're looking at them because they're saying don't look at me. Sometimes we can do a little pride in reverse. It's important that we understand where we're really at. You're not where you were, but you're not where you're going to be. The second building block of, the, of a good kind of process mindset is confidence in Christ's ongoing work. Again, look at the passage. He says that I press on to take hold of that for which Christ already took hold of me. Christ is already doing this work. He's the one chiseling away. He's the one speaking into my mind and my heart. He's the one saying, uh, mm, mm, that would be you. 
He says that there is a goal, there's a prize, and God has called him toward it. And it's all found in Christ. So when you and I are tempted to think, I feel like I've been at this forever and nothing is happening. And every renovation experiences times when it seems like nothing is changing. And then all of a sudden, everything starts changing. I think this yesterday, we all saw lots of things happening. Just like it seems like things start pulling together. It's exciting. But there's other times when you feel like, I have been sanding this spackle for months. Right? Please, just stop. Make it stop. We can have confidence that Jesus began this work and he's going to finish it. Even if we're not aware of what's changing at this moment, he is not going to let it slide. Thirdly, Paul says something about not resting on his past. Now, if, you, if you're familiar with this passage and you read, forgetting what's behind, I'm guessing that most of us tend to think that what he's saying is we should, we should, we should forget about all of our past mistakes. You know, get, get over that and, and, and look to the future. Be optimistic. I just want to say that in Paul's case, I don't think that's what he's referring to. Actually, I think what he's referring to there is his past successes. When you read the beginning of Philippians, he talks about a lot of things where he's been faithful, forgetting what's behind. What he's saying is, just because I've had a few successes, I'm not resting on that. I'm not saying, well, see, there. Instead, he continues to press on. I think it applies as well to those of us who have things that we feel badly about. Times when we feel like we failed. Times when we think we weren't listening and it cost us or someone that we love. Paul says, if you're going to have this process mindset, if you're going to understand that renovation is ongoing, we have to develop a mindset that knows how to deal with the things that are past. There's nothing we can do. We learn from them, but we put them in their place. And lastly, envisioning Christ's approval one day. He says, I forget what's, what's behind, but I'm straining toward what's ahead. I press on toward the goal to win. And what's so helpful for us to hear is when, if you struggle sometimes, well, you don't want to be prideful. You don't want to think you're getting closer to the goal because somehow that'll be prideful. Paul makes it very clear what he understood the, the prize to be. And his prize is going to be, and, and ours, is when he stands before the Lord. When he gets that evaluation from his Savior, not until then. In fact, it's the fact that he's working toward that day of approval or disapproval that helps him put the rest of life in process. One of the best things we can do as followers of Jesus is to pause long enough to say, how is this going to play in front of Jesus on the throne? And before you know it, things that seem big get small. And things that we had overlooked become big. Have you ever had that experience? Maybe in business, maybe in your finances, maybe in a relationship. But an experience where you were ignoring something that seemed kind of trivial until you got to that important spot. And they say, didn't you, didn't you know? W weren't you aware? And all of a sudden you realize that all the things that you've been doing this whole week were ridiculous, and the one thing that you needed to be doing this week, you didn't do. 
I read about a, a man that, uh, he's a, he's a well-known theologian, and uh, he's been a professor now for 30 years, but he picked up his PhD in Europe at a fine German seminary. But what you have to understand about German higher education and European higher education in general is that it's not like what we do here. Here we have, we study a little, we read a book, we take a test. You study a little, you read a book, you take a test. You write a paper, you get it graded, you write another paper, you get it graded. When you're working for advanced degrees in Europe, and this has been a part of Oxford's training for years, you, you basically, they okay what you're going to study on a, in a PhD. And then you come back in three to four years for one big exam. It's a verbal exam. You sit down with your professor and you're going to have a couple hour chat. And he is just going to ask you questions. He's going to evaluate the depth of your answers. Really? That's terrifying. What's he going to ask? Who knows? And generally, you have one shot. Now, most universities will let you come back a year later and try it one more time. Can you imagine getting to that kind of an interview and realizing for the last three years I've been studying the wrong stuff? And this man writes about sitting in front of his department head professor and failing miserably, stumbling over his words. And he could see the disappointment even on his professor's face. And the bottom line is after spending four years as, as a well-known Christian author, and moving his entire family to Europe to do this, after four years, he went outside to his wife and daughter waiting, and he just went, I failed. Can you? Not his credit. He had one year to get it right. And that next year, he writes about the things that he did study so that he was prepared. If you and I knew, if only we knew exactly what Jesus was going to ask, and if we lived every day with an awareness that that exam, that talk with Jesus is coming, it affects how we respond through this process. Now, if that sounds like endless work, like there's never going to be a break, there's never going to be a time to like relax, I don't think that's what God has in mind. God himself took time to enjoy things. You think about uh, the creation story. In, in the book of Genesis, we read that God created. And over and over again, we read, God created and he saw it was good. It's kind of like a pause. Hey, good. Verse 19, God made it and then look, it was good. Verse 31, it was very good. God himself enjoys things along the journey. But it is a skill that we have to understand. God calls progress good. If we're going to be people of a process, and even though this process really doesn't come to a conclusion until we're standing before him, it doesn't mean that, well, then we're just endless, endless drudgery. No, no, there are little goods, goods, goods all along the way. It's important that we learn that God himself stops and says, hey, that was good. Let's party. Hey, that was good. Let's celebrate. By the way, on August 27th, we're going to have our first service on a new campus. And afterward, we're going to party. We're going to have food and, and, and sweets. And we've got big inflatable games for the kids. And we're just going to take the time. We've been so busy. We haven't had a, remember this time last year, we had a wonderful church picnic. We were all out together. Play. We haven't done anything fun. 
That all ends on the 27th. And we are going to have such a great time. And we're doing it to enjoy the progress, celebrate the progress that we've made. But before we go, let me just ask this question. Because I, I think having it clear in your mind, our minds, is important. What is this progress toward? We are aware of the things that are, are maybe wrong in our lives that God probably wants to fix. But are you and I aware of what it is he's trying to build? What does the final product really look like? You say, well, we're all going to be like Jesus. Okay, that's hard. I don't know about you, that's hard for me to relate to. Me looking like Jesus. Okay, it's kind of a stretch. Really, what does it, what, what, what's, he, what's his goal for us as he chips away? In Isaiah 43, we read something, Old Testament passage, God describing the work that he's doing in his people Israel. Starting in verse 6, he says this, I bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. We could take the entire morning and do a, a, a kind of a walk through the entire Old Testament. Every time God reveals something about himself, it's connected to his purposes in making creation, making us, so that we would bring him glory. What exactly does it mean to bring him glory? It means to treat him like he's God. Have you ever, have you ever been around when someone made that mistake? of not knowing who the other person who was there was. So I worked in a hotel. And uh, at this hotel, the general manager um, was released uh, for a number of offenses. And he really was, a, he, he wasn't a good leader at all. He was released. And uh, I had been introduced that day to the new general manager. We're standing in the lobby of a hotel. I've been introduced, how are you, nice to meet you. Another colleague of mine comes up and begins just talking about how totally incompetent all the management of our hotel was. And this gentleman, he was a big tall guy, he was actually, he was German, stood there. And you know, my, my colleague didn't have a clue. I'm like, hmm, 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 hmm. And this guy just went on and on, bunch of buffoons, da 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 da, 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 da. and you just think, hmm, you don't know who this is. If you had known who this was, you would talk differently. You know what it means to glorify God? If you realized who he was, you'd act different. Yes, sir. No, sir. You bet. Right now? Uh-huh. He says jump. We say how high while we're in the air. What it means to glorify God is to act like he is who he is. He's, he's our boss, our king, our sovereign, our savior. And the, just the fact that he would ask us to do something, knowing that he could do it himself. Yes, sir, I'd be happy to. Bringing God glory simply means acting like he is who he is. In Ephesians, we read something similar. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, again, a church so much like ours, and he says, In him, Jesus, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything, he's God, in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Bringing God's glory 
is in, includes this idea of actually pointing out who he is. So you walk around with the boss and you say, um, did you meet the new, yeah, the boss, I mean, yeah, wow, wow I'm, I'm helping, sorry, I can't, I, I can't come over, I can't talk because I'm helping him. <laughs> like, I'm just, yeah, I'm just, right? There's a sense of awe and a sense of, wow, at the end of the day, this guy is so sharp. Well, he's so helpful. He's so competent. That's what it means that our purpose is for the praise of his glory. What a shame if you're walking alongside Jesus himself each day as he does what only he, the incomparable sovereign God, can do. And you don't notice, you and I don't notice a thing. Did you see that, that little bit of protection there? What? What? Where? Did you notice how he protected your heart? Did you see his provision as he... What? 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 What a shame. So that the idea that we're made to bring him glory, to notice what he's doing. Paul sums it up in 1 Corinthians like this. So whatever, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You see, how we do what we do matters as much as what we do. How is it that you get up? How is it that you go to work? How is it that you drive home? How is it that you make a meal? How is it that you visit with a friend? Each of us need to keep learning that how we do what we're doing actually can reflect him. And when we catch ourselves failing, stumbling, while the enemy wants to kind of berate us and condemn us, what we should be hearing from Jesus is, I'm, set, I, I'm tossing you an easy win here, Mike. Here you go. Here you go. Because now you know where it's coming, right? Because you've missed it several times. We'll put it in the same place. Are you ready? Right, Mike, look at me. Are you ready? Uh, uh, uh. You ready? Here we go. You don't understand? I missed it before. I know. I, now you know where it's coming. Ready? Here you go. And he just lobs it to us. Next time you fail, that's all he's doing. He's just putting one right in your sweet spot. Because... He has no interest in your continued failure. One day, he will wrap that whole thing up. Right now, he wants you and I to enjoy what it's like to really make connection with that ball. For the praise of his glory. Now, one last thing. What is it like when we give God glory? What's the outcome for us? We understand he gets glory. We want that to happen. See? See? But what does it feel like to be the person standing next to that and be following along and working with him and responding to him and having him... What's, what's our experience like? Believe it or not, even though this process is one of renovation, our experience isn't described in the scripture as like ongoing labor... Chisel, 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 dust, dust. (laughs) That's not how it's described. You want to know how our experience of standing next to him as he does this work in us is described? Psalm 16, David captures it. After everything that David has experienced, when we think about what we know about his life, the ups and the downs. He says of God, you fill me with joy in your presence. 
with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Now, I hope you enjoy coming to church, but I don't think any of us would describe coming in here and sitting down in one of these chairs next to whoever you're sitting next to as filled with joy, eternal pleasures. <laughs> okay, well, at least the temperature's not so bad, but eternal pleasures, maybe not. This is what's described, not about this experience, but our experience of walking with him and watching him change us, interacting with him, including the failures. It's interesting that Jesus, when he was here talking to his disciples, when he's having this intimate talk in John 15 before he goes to the cross, he references the same experience. He's about to go to the cross, and so what does he talk about, among other things? Joy. How is that possible? Because he's not looking at the cross, he's looking at what comes after it. He says, I have told you guys this so that my joy might be in you and your joy could be complete, completely filled out. His interest for his disciples. Wait, wait, what does Jesus want from us? Oh, he wants me to be faithful. Oh, he wants me to be less sinful. He wants me to stop, Jesus, stop. I want you to be joyful. That is the automatic reaction of somebody who stands in my father's presence and does what his father, my father instructs. You're going to watch him work. You're going to sense his presence. And something comes over us. He says, I want you to be joyful. What a powerful image. In fact, joy is so powerful. It was present in Jesus' motivation even as he went to the cross. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin which so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out before us. We should fix our eyes on Jesus, the author or the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who was willing to go through that horrible cross He says, no, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I want you to understand that joy, the joy of the Lord is so powerful that the, that the experience of the cross could not stop it from penetrating. I've already learned that some of you, just this morning I've learned that some of you have gone through a really terrible week. A few terrible things I knew about coming in this morning, a few more I learned even today. <laughs> Some of us have looked at a very, very dark experience. Jesus looked at that experience, and what he would, wants us to say is that his joy can actually still penetrate right through that darkness. It has that kind of power, it has that kind of purpose. There is joy in this process of being renovated. There's joy in experiencing growth and change. For some of us, just the fact that we don't do what we used to do is worth a party. There is joy in watching other people grow and change. 
change. Yes, yes. You see what I mean? It's amazing. God can change us. There is joy in experiencing life in community. When you hear testimony after testimony and somebody says, oh, this is so hard. And then later they're like, you know what God did? And we go, that's sort of what I experienced too. We do it together. There's joy. In Acts 26, when it's describing um, what happens when Gentiles who don't know Jesus come in and follow Jesus, it talks about them as having a place among the redeemed. And the reason that's so powerful is because the Jews always understood themselves to having, we're God's people. We, we have a place. See, we're special. And now the Gentiles are, are described as like, no, you have a place among the redeemed. We hope, first of all, we hope that when you come to the crossroads that you feel like you have a place. We actually work really hard at that. But do you understand why? It's not because we're such nice people. Happens all the time. If, if we get to help somebody through our benevolent funds, our love and action, we'll help someone and say, oh, you guys are just so good. No, not really. Excuse me, I say, not really, actually. No, we're not. But we've experienced good, and we're just trying to emulate the same thing. See, this is what it's like for us to be close to Jesus. This is what we want it to be like for others to be close to Jesus with us. There is joy in working for Jesus because it has a purpose. There's joy in working with Jesus. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm with the guy here. Like, you know, hey, Mike, do you want to come to lunch? Are you, are you kidding me? I'm going with him. In one hotel that I worked at, uh, we dealt with a lot of um, kind of famous people. And in my position, I actually had to kind of help them. I was like a, I was like a like gopher, like, okay. And it was pretty, you know, pretty low on the totem pole, except for the fact that I got to go wherever they went. And I can't tell you, I have management who wish they could trade jobs with me. Like, you know, hey, Mike, come on. I had one, one man that when, when it was time for his wife to get, I mean his wife, yeah, his daughter to get married, and they're going to have the wedding in their home in France. And he said, hey, I'd like you and your family to come. <laughs> yeah, right. He goes, no, you fly on one of our planes, no problem. Man. Another guy, when he left, he gave me like six suits, each one worth like $6,000. I mean, it's nice to be with the person. Like, hey, you want to come for lunch? No. Why would I leave this? The joy of working alongside the, the sovereign of the universe. And, of course, in this whole process, what, what's better than working for him or working with him? As he does this, we actually start working like him. And when you catch yourself doing something that Jesus would do, joy wells up. Because you realize the promises can't be altered. G.K. Chesterton is one of my favorite authors. He wrote this, A person is fully human only when joy is the fundamental thing in him, when grief is superficial. Melancholy should be an innocent interlude a tender and fugitive frame of mind. Praise should be the permanent pulsation of the soul. Pessimism is at best an emotional half-holiday. Joy is the uproarious labor for which all things live. Joy is the uproarious. What a great word. This uproarious labor for which all things live. Do you know why? Because in God's presence, it's nothing but joy. There's one source of joy 
in all of this that we have to mention just before we go. And that's this. That Jesus is doing this work and therefore it will be finished. Let me finish by reading. Oh, there's the, there's the, yeah. I actually put it in there, right? You could have watched it as I read it. Confidence that God is going to complete this. Let me just ask you. Have you at times thought to yourself, I'm at a stale spot, and I've been at this stale spot, and I've done this several times, and I'm not sure if I want to admit it to anybody in the room, but I'm not sure I'm going to actually make this process. Others are doing good, but me, I'm just, I just keep petering out. It's just, I'm just not sure I'm even going to make the curve. I don't know if I'm going to finish this thing. I'm just struggling. Could you hear the word of God today as we close? Try to make no comments. I just want you to listen to the word of God. And we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be, that we might be, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He wants us to join him. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Uh, let's have some fun here this morning. Every time I say the word who, I'm going to ask, there's several questions here. Every time I say the word who, I would like you to answer back, nobody. We're going to try it. Ready? Here we go. Who? Nobody. Not too bad. Let's try it again. Who? Nobody. Okay, here we go. For if God is for us, then who can be against us? Nobody. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him for all of us, how, can, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those Nobody. who have been chosen? It's God who justifies who then is the one who condemns? Nobody. No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. You guys, you can't fail. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nobody. Amen. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword... No. In all these things, we are, guys, more than conquerors through him who loved us. Oh, sorry. It's, 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 it's part of our theme this year. We're more than conquerors. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor present nor future. We were joking today about African-American preaching. This is where I'm the wrong color. <laughs> They would say, not death nor life, not angels nor demons, neither present or the future, nor powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So then why are we whining? Why are we doubting? Why do we look like we're just like, like 
slave laborers? No, because anyway, we feel that way sometimes, and I keep stumbling, and I keep messing up, and this stuff, and, and I just like, stop, wait. It's not up to you and me. That's not Jesus. <laughs> it's Matthew McConaughey. Maybe some of you heard his speech when he received Oscar for Best Actor. Pretty powerful speech, actually. I see why the guy gets paid big bucks. He's a great actor. And his finger's up because right there, the first thing he says is, first, I want to give glory to God. Yay! <laughs> and he had a kind of a little, pre, a little sermon, three-point sermon, that what keeps him going is that there's, there's always got to be somebody to look up to. It's God. Something that he looks forward to. That was his family. And he says, and then something that I'm chasing. It was an interesting idea. Because I've got to be chasing something. He said, for him, it's his self in 10 years. See, he's trying to be the guy that he's going to be in 10 years. And of course, then he explained, of course, when I'm there, I'm not chasing that person anymore. I'm chasing the guy, me, another 10 years. And it was an interesting concept, but you know, I couldn't help but shake this as I was thinking about closing this morning. Because you realize that Matthew McConaughey, that goal he will never actually achieve. He will never catch up with his future self. The scriptures say that our goal is not our future self. It's our present Jesus. That we will be like him. He's already confirmed that. So, The secret to this process is to keep our focus not on your future self or Matthew McConaughey. Although, I don't know. I think I'd look pretty good in a suit like that. <laughs> the secret is to stay, keep our focus on Jesus. And if you are not experiencing a deep abiding joy, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of hardship, then focus more. Because the bottom line is, in his presence, being a part of what he's doing, there is joy, even through tears, even through hardship. So I ask you this. Are you up for the rest of the process? Let's pray. Your heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, it all begins there. You see, He died for you. He made the payment for your sin. He offers eternal life as a gift. We receive it by faith. He requires nothing from us. There's nothing we could do to contribute to that. It's His gift. But once He has redeemed us, He does not leave us where He found us. He has promised us a future and a hope. He left the Spirit of God who resides in believers' hearts and minds. Our minds fill with the Word of God, and through the body of Christ, the people of God, we begin being His light, His salt, His hands, His feet. You and I are in this process. Perhaps you've grown weary because it seems like you've been in process forever. The message is you will not be in process forever. The day will come. Remember that day. In fact, the next time that you are struggling, you are tempted to quit or tempted to go away from his will, 
Just stop and compare the payoff to what you are thinking about versus the payoff before him. How will this play in heaven? I don't know about you, but every time I finally get to that point, I realize how puny this thing that I'm struggling with has been. May God help us continue to be changed by Him and to be filled with the joy that comes from being a part of what He's doing. Lord Jesus, forgive us for becoming so distracted by the things around us that we take our eyes off You. Like Peter, we begin to sink. And we thank You that when we keep our focus on You, that your joy can be ours, that the hope that you bring can fill our lives with joy. So would you help us to be filled with joy? Help us to notice when the joy is waning and to adjust our focus because there is an eternal truth. What stands before you, what, what plays before your throne will last forever. Help us to live in, that, in a way that that becomes our motive. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org